All right. Well, welcome back, guys, to Untold Gems. We have another special guest on the pod today. His name is Shane, Shane Ecom on IG. Um, and he is an Amazon dropshipping expert and coach. Um, so we wanted to have him on the pod because obviously we, all three of us, do FBA, whereas you do FBM. So it's finally it's nice to finally meet an FBM seller. Um so we wanted to talk about the differences with that and as well, just get to know you a bit more and have the audience know you as well. So um, what's up? How's everyone doing? Everyone's good? Yeah. Awesome. I appreciate you having me on this podcast, by the way. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So um, we'll start with in, in the beginning. Like, how did you get started with Amazon FPM dropshipping um, and why did you choose that to start? Yeah. So originally I started this in 2020. Um, obviously I, I was at Concordia. I was at John Molson before this studying. Um, I hopped around from finance, from business admin, uh, marketing. And one of the biggest things is like, you know, you always see the ads, right? You see the ads on Instagram, on Facebook. So it, it's always been on my head, but when the pandemic hit, um, it was a little bit of a different scenario right? Uh, you know, school was basically all online with recycled videos from 2008. So I lost all my faith in the schooling system. Um, and then I soon realized like, okay, well, no one was hiring either. Right. So you have two options, you either take CERB or you kind of build something for yourself. And I was trying to put it in my perspective, thinking about, okay, well, what's one thing that is still going on despite, you know, the world being upside down. And that was, you know, online shopping, more specifically Amazon. Yeah. And, you know, you know, you do have Shopify as well. Um, but Amazon was a way for me to be able to tap into a marketplace where a lot of people were just organically coming to the platform. And what that pandemic showed a lot of people was like, okay, this is actually really easy, right? I can get my groceries within the span of two days. I can get my item the next day. So I, I dabbled a little bit. I was like, you know what? Let me try to take a look at it. FBA was not something I was aware of. I was more aware of the FBM side. And um, it was just more so something, okay, one product at a time. But the thing was, is that with FBM, there's different models, right? You've got OA, you've got RA, and then you also there's got dropshipping. So and the biggest thing for me was, okay, well, I don't want to pay insane amount of fees, but more specifically, I don't want to you know, have any sort of other intermediaries. I want it to be myself and then it's going to be the customer as well. So dropshipping is just simply a way for you to be a little bit more hands-off, for you to be able to minimize the amount of heavy lifting that goes into this and having your supplier do all the heavy lifting for you. So what I did is I, I tried to list a couple of different products, but throughout the pandemic, considering I didn't have a job, I didn't have school. So I was, you know, spending 12 to 14 hours a day on my business. So I was really able to kind of run through a little bit of trial and error and figure out what worked. Uh, fast forward in our first month, we hit 10K in sales. Uh, fast forward to our first seven months, we surpassed like $102,000 in sales. Um, so yeah, that was a little bit of my journey of kind of getting started into the whole entire Amazon space and entrepreneurship as well. Yeah, yeah but for the people who don't know what's FBN, FBA, can you just break down the main difference between two and what specifically is FBM and how could one get started? Right. Yeah. So in, in like, terms of in terms of FBM, a fulfillment by merchant, 
That's what FBM stands for. FBA stands for Fulfillment by Amazon, which I'm sure a lot of people already know from this podcast. But Fulfillment by Merchant, very simply explained, it says it in the title is you're the merchant. So you're in charge of shipping, handling, and labeling all the products. That's all on your hands. So when it comes to FBM, any person can start this, right? It's a business model that allows you to be able to start. There's two different ways. You've got, you know, you've got your beginner plan or what they call an individual plan on Amazon, where there's no monthly fee and it's just, you pay as you go, right? So if you sell a product, Amazon charges you a specific fee or you got the professional plan, right? And the professional plan is about, I believe $29 a month, um, give or take or $39 a month. And that gives you access to all sorts of selling features. There's no limitations, there's nothing like that. And um, it's really a simple way for a lot of people to be able to test if they wanna try a new online business, you can go ahead and do so. But more specifically, when we talk about a dropshipping business, the way that the business model works is you're only ever spending money when you make money. So I can list the product on Amazon, I can list this water bottle here, and I only ever have to place the order once I've been confirmed that I got a sale from my supplier, uh, from Amazon, sorry, from the Amazon customer. So that's when I have my supplier send it directly to the customer's doorstep. Yeah, that's no, what I like always... about the, the idea of dropshipping is like if you don't have a lot of cash flow or a lot of money to invest into a business, I feel like that would be a really good idea for people who, you know, they're not they're not working or whatever. Um, yeah, like I was I was cash strapped, right? Like no job coming out of university, like it was not good, right? But for a lot of people, is they want to start an online business without, you know, getting or being exposed to so much risk. You've got a lot out there. You've got crypto, you've got affiliate marketing, you got Forex, you got trading, all these different types of things. And sometimes those might be very volatile, but that's why selling on Amazon is so beginner friendly because literally just about anybody can start it. As long as you've got a laptop and you've got a Wi-Fi connection, you're good to go. So, so you're basically listing the products and then once someone orders, you go and buy from your supplier, that's pure job shipping, right? Um, so do you buy from outside of the country or are you buying in the country or do you buy overseas? Like are your suppliers located in China, for example, or are they located here? Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, in, in terms of suppliers, what I'm a big ad- advocate for is you got to utilize domestic-based suppliers, right? So what that means is if you're selling in the Canadian marketplace, you have to use Canadian-based suppliers. The reason why is because Think about it. Any sort of consumer, if I shop on Amazon, it's because I want my product the next day or within the yeah. next day or two. Convenience. So I got to make sure that my suppliers can match those standards. Mm-hmm. And considering that I'm doing FBM, the shipping times are on me. So yeah. I got to make sure that if I'm selling in Canada, I'm using Canadian suppliers. If you're selling in the US, you use US suppliers. Um, if you're selling in the UK, we have a couple people that we work with, you utilize UK-based suppliers. You're mm-hmm. never sourcing from AliExpress or Alibaba because shipping times just take way yeah, too Yeah, it's like 30 days, two months. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. Right. Um, and so that's what I've always been intrigued about is like with FBM is the, the seller rating or the feedback because it's all on you. How do you keep it at a high level or we're at a place where it's like a good rating? Right. So like, you know, when you look at FBA, right, like you guys can have the ability to strike through negative mm-hmm. reviews that aren't yeah. on your shoulders. FBM, you can't do that. That's so it. Yeah. You got to really be able to, to have the proper systems in place. Right. So this will include having a plethora of different scripts in place in order for you to be able to, you know, manage different types of scenarios that come about. 
but more specifically having everything systemized to the point where you're providing people with a high level of customer service. Because that goes into your account health, account health metrics when you're selling on Amazon is your customer service performance. Mm-hmm. So what we really try to be able to do is we try to nurture the customer as much as we can. So, you know, us as Amazon sellers, when you're doing FBM, you can be able to communicate with the customer directly. So this includes, you know, making them run through a little bit of a funnel. So when they order a product, we send them a thank you for your order script. When their item is shipped, we send them, you know, congrats, your item is on the way script. When we understand that their item was delivered, we send them a script asking them, you know, we hope your item was okay, please let us know. And then, you know, five to 30 days after we're able to request reviews from the Amazon customer. Mm -hmm. So really being able to go through that process of ensuring we're nurturing them, I guess you can say kissing their ass to the best of their ability, uh, just to be able to get that positive review, because that's what really goes into your box eligibility. Do you have have people that call you? Um, so you could have people that call you. Um, they call you? Yeah, so you could <laughs> have people that call you. Um, you know, it'll, it'll say Amazon. I'd be so scared. I'd be like, oh yeah, my God, I'm too like scared. I, would, I wouldn't answer. Yourself. I wouldn't answer. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, it's it's a better way for you to be able to communicate with the customer, right? Because Yeah, you, you can, can build only, a bond with them. Exactly. You can only say so much through, you know, instant messaging or yeah. the messages. But when you're able to speak to someone, you can understand their tone. If they're yeah. very upset, if they're not very upset, and they can be able to know you on a more personal level, right? Like, mm-hmm. hi, my name is Shane. I'm a customer service rep at XYZ store. Mm-hmm. I'm happy. Right? It just sounds a little bit better. So it's a little bit of an opportunity, I guess you can say. And have you found these strategies have have made you able to maintain good ratings? Like, like do you find that it, it you're able to maintain like a decent rating with FBM, even though you can't like remove bad ones? Yeah. So, you know, it all really funnels down to you got to be able to keep track of your business and what's happening, building the right systems in place. Right? You, yeah. you can't just simply, you know, let your customers go and not be in contact with them or not follow up with the tracking information. Because if that's the case, if that's the case, then shit will get lost, right? You'll be able to scale, which is really good, but at the same time, you're gonna sacrifice your account health. Yeah. And for us, longevity and sustainability is the main reason why we're in this. Whether you're doing FBA or FBM, for sure. this is a long-term business, right? This yeah. is an income-producing asset. So what we try to be able to do is continuously focus on the number one priorities being account health. You gotta focus on your account health. And you know, whether it's checking your account health metrics four times a, a day or you know eight times a day, whatever it need be, you just got to make sure that you're keeping check on it because it's a lot more than just, you know, let's say for instance, oh, if a buyer is mad or not, it goes into how many sales you get. If you get a negative review, your buy box eligibility decreases. Mm, I was going to ask different... that. Go ahead. No, I was going to ask like how, how much does it affect you from making sales if you do get bad reviews? Cause I mean, like we've been able to remove all of our bad reviews. So we've been like, we've been lucky enough, I guess, to keep 100%. Which like I I'm always telling people like oh we're so lucky as FBM sellers or sorry FBA sellers, but does it really impact you a lot when it goes like when you get bad reviews? Well right yeah of course it does right because oh, um, you know like in the FBM world we do not compete with FBA or Amazon yeah, right? yeah, yeah like we sure. avoid you guys like the plague like it's we cannot compete so that's so, what I was wanted to ask like you avoid ask. FBA sellers. <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's one of the main things that we try okay. to focus on is so many people that they, they try to go where there's a lot of attention. But the thing is, when you go where there's a lot of attention, let's say, for there's instance, FBA. toys and games, it's filled mm-hmm. with FBA, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're going to come across those prop listings. So FBM only want to compete with FBM. So from that point, what we try to be able to do is 
if let's say I get a negative review, the first thing is try to be able to see if it meets one of Amazon's criteria for removal. Mm, okay. 99% of the time it won't. Okay. So from that point, I got to do a little bit of legwork and I got to be able to understand, okay, well, let me try to message the customer and I'll try to be able to walk through with them what exactly went wrong and how we can make it better. Whether it's a 10% concessionary refund in order for them to be able to remove the review. That's definitely something that you can do, right? If not, worst case scenario, if we do get that bad review and it can't be removed, our sales will be dragged down, right? Because our buy box eligibility will decrease. It can go from 10% down to 6%, right? But from that point forward, if that happens, then what we try to do is we try to focus more on the volume of sales. So decreasing our profit margins, really decreasing our prices to be able to ensure that we get more customers in, therefore leading for more opportunity to be able to get more positive reviews from more more customers. So you've been doing this for for how long? Was it a year or two years? It's been a year. uh, It's been two years and three months. Yeah, no, I know that for us, we can't like, or I don't know if we can or can't, but like typically FBA sellers aren't like, we don't send thank you notes or stuff like that with our packaging. So I know that FBM sellers at least have like a lot of more reviews that come in than we do. So like after how long you've been doing this, you said uh, two years, two years. Yeah. So how many reviews are you at now? Like what number have you surpassed? Cause I've been doing this for two years and I'm just like at 120, 125 reviews. Whereas right. like, I, I feel like you would be at a lot more reviews. So you'd be surprised. I'm at 52 reviews. Oh, really? Okay. Right. Okay. Cause so I thought the thank rev- you notes like that. Me too. I'm closer, I'm, I'm closer to 50. I think I'm at like 60 or something. Mm-hmm. Right. But when you think about it, why in the world would you leave someone a positive comment unless something went wrong? Yeah, yeah, for That's sure. The, Amazon customers are a different breed, to be fully yeah, honest with you. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, but the thing is, is that people are not going to be very willing to be able to leave you a positive review unless they have a positive, you know, yeah. interaction with yeah. you. If you solved an issue, if you sent them another item, or if you kind of shipped out their item on an expedited process, that's when they'll kind of reach out to you. But, you know, one of the largest sellers on Amazon is an FBM store. So it just goes yeah. to show that there is a lot of opportunity there. But I in see terms those of big FBM sellers that have yeah, like yeah. 20,000 yeah. reviews. I'm like, how yeah. long has this guy been selling on Amazon? There's for? this one guy, bro. Yeah, the, in Canada, there's like Botley store, there's big, huge, there's all these different types of sellers out there. But at the same time, like, you know, review manipulation is the thing that happens. Right? And that's a risky mm-hmm. game. That's definitely something that I would avoid. Wait, what's that? So, you know, essentially um, review manipulation is where people pay other people from third party. For like fake reviews? For fake reviews. Fake reviews. (laughs) That's too, I would be way too scared to do that. Yeah, but Amazon (laughs) cracked down on it. Amazon really made sure that they're they're strict on that. And they they purged like over, I believe it was like 10,000 sellers or something like that. Holy shit. Well, like knowing how strict Amazon is, like whatever business model you do, whether it's OAA, dropshipping, any business model you do, like your account health, all of their rules, like that's the most important thing. So I would like, I'm not surprised at all to hear that. Yeah, like this is Amazon's world. We're, we're just trying to figure out how can we live in it and how can we make yeah. money? Yeah. And so they always got new um, new policies in place, you know, restocking limits, increase, decrease every now and then. Ugh, so there's yeah. different ways in which you got to be able to adjust accordingly because if you're not going to keep up with this, you're not going to stay ahead of the curve, then you're just going to be left behind. For sure. And I know a lot of people that just avoid their accounts. Like they just don't look at their account health. Yeah. 
<laughs> and then they're like they're like confused as to why something happens but it's like I feel like if you're just really on like on the ball with that and always checking and making sure that you're following the rules I don't see why there's any issue you know yeah definitely so so for two years now uh do you know how many sales I'm sure you do but like are you comfortable saying how many sales you've made up to this date so uh, I'll tell you in 2020, I don't know actually in full. In 2022 so far, we've done a little bit over $352,000. That's right. far. So, so it's decent. Um, but more specifically, that's just an ego number. Our, our profit margins are about like 26%. Oh, that's so, really so good. It, it is a decent amount. Um, but that's because in all honesty, like FBA margins and, and FBM margins are a little bit different because you guys got different fees. Yeah. Right? Yeah, we have sure. one fee. We have a 15% fee for every single item sold. So it's a little bit of a different ballgame. Sure. And um, so you've had good success with your Amazon business and then you started coaching people. So how was, because I remember when I started coaching people too, how is that transition? Because I feel like you're like one of the best coaches out there. Like you're really focused on your coaching business. Whereas me, for example, like personally, I'm more focused on my actual business and then I help people that decide to work with me. Uh, but I don't like, fully like um, i don't claim myself to be like a coach or anything like that right. whereas you've fully taken on that role and you're having also great success with that so like how was it transitioning from like amazon to now coaching people and helping them start their own business yeah so like one of the biggest things i realized like amazon is it's 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 you right like you're just selling to customers you don't know these customers um and i always felt like there was something bigger for me to do like bigger than just me right like bigger than just Shane and my success and what that came with is like when I automated my business when I built out a whole entire team as of like month eight I was sitting on on my behind and I wasn't really doing anything with my time and then I started to realize like people started to ask me questions people started to come to me for help and guidance and one of the most common things I started to realize is people were like yeah I paid eight grand to this guy to be able to teach me something and I didn't get anything from it <laughs> And I started to realize like, okay, these are 18 year old kids doing this. These are people that are getting into, you know, these gurus, these scams, and they're not getting any valuable coaching from it. Mm. So although I had a considerable amount of knowledge when it came to Amazon, doesn't mean I could effectively coach it to other people. So I had to invest in my own coaching um, myself to be able to understand how to run a coaching business and how to teach people and provide them with the most amount of impact. And uh, it's been a year and two months that we've been running the coaching program so far. We have 198 people um, wow. in the program. That's and amazing. It, it's really good. It's a different way of coaching. It's really focused on personalized, tailored approaches, being able to understand how can just any specific individual start an Amazon business, whether they got kids, they've got a nine to five, whether they're an entrepreneur. It's, it's, it's definitely a lot of fun. And it's the most fulfilling thing I've ever done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's a question the coaching. I just want to know, how does one go from having the idea to coach? I think a lot of people have the knowledge to coach, but how do you implement the infrastructure to be able to say, this is my plan, this is my website, this is how I'm going to market. Can you walk us through a bit of the process of having the idea a, couple, a year ago to where mm -hmm. it's at right now? So he, what that stems from is understanding where I started from. When I started, I had no idea. Like one of the biggest things is, okay, how do I start my Amazon account? So how do I register an Amazon account? So one of the first chapters that we run through is registering your seller account. And the second part, okay, once I set up my, my Amazon account, how do I navigate Seller Central? Okay, the second chapter is navigating Seller Central. The third part to that is, okay, 
well, how do I deal with customers? How do I message customers? Third part, you know, obviously customer service and, and so on. You get where I'm getting at here. But I try to be able to put myself in the position that I was once at, you know, a little bit over two years ago and really make sure that, okay, if I was coming into this, would this help me? And it, you know, first the program started out as just simply like a course and just a video training. But now we've evolved it to 35 hours of video training that sets their foundation. And then we run them through a 30 day Amazon accelerator. So they, they have me as their personal coach, then they get their own assistant coach. And we're really just hand hold, like holding their hand through the whole entire process. Because this is a new business for them. Right? I, I've got all the tools and resources that has helped me be successful. So I'm just running them through everything that I wish that I knew in the beginning to do, you know, to save them the time in order to be able to get them where they want to be, but also to relieve any sort of the stress or anxiety that comes with starting a new business. Because for so many people, the reason why they don't take action is because they don't have a proper blueprint. And for, you know, for me, the reason why people come to me is because I feel like I'm authentic. I'm just me. I'm just, there's nothing to me, right? Um, but at the same time, I'm just putting my life out there. And for me to build out a proper coaching program, it really stemmed from being able to put myself in their position starting out and more specifically over-delivering on all different types of value. Like with, there's many layers to the coaching program that people have daily support. They've got weekly support. They've got lifetime access to mentorship and one-on-one calls. They've got a private strategy inbox. They've got inventory audits, live product research masterclasses, live product research audits, like a wide variety of different things. And the point of that is really to be able to provide them with the most amount of transformation within the shortest period of time. I have a question. I've always wondered this about you. How are you able to do like um, lifetime support? Because me, I'm like, like I like I don't know how you're able to manage that many students. Do you like do you have assistants that help you? Um, tell us a bit about that. Right. So it, you know, 198 people is a lot of people. Yeah, and That's you said lifetime coaching sessions, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so how do you do that? <laughs> when we think about you know, offering lifetime coaching. The reason why is because majority of the people out there in terms of dropshipping coaches, they'll offer a three-month program for 10 grand or something like that. And logically speaking, that doesn't make sense because if I'm helping you build a business that I want you to run for a lifetime, I can't just be there for the first three months because month four, five, six can different different other set of problems. It's what we call like the economies of scale. So Coming into this, I had to be able to understand I have to be there every single step of the way. And it does, you know, at times it does happen to be a lot, but, you know, we've taken one of our best students in the program. He's now the assistant coach, right? So he's essentially a second me, right? He's he's our second employee. He's been the one that's been, you know, doing a lot of the video calls, being able to do a lot of the communication, answering in the group channel and really being able to provide people with value. But nonetheless, I stay dedicated, right? Like I'm the head coach of everything. People rely on me primarily. So it's very important for me to structure my days accordingly and understand that if I have an hour available, it's going to my students. It's not going towards Netflix or anything like that. It's going towards them, exactly. So it does come, it does come, you know, it does get to be a little bit overwhelming at times. But what helps is having systems in place. You got to have the right infrastructure. And if you have a good coaching program, then the amount of questions that people are going to ask, not necessarily going to be the most. For sure, because if they're if they're learning it from the beginning, they shouldn't have that many questions. That's true. That's I a good have, point. I have two questions. How did you learn about Amazon FBM? 
or like dropshipping what you do. And also, I think it's very important for you to mention, because I think you've been vocal about this and your girlfriend also told us how much money you've spent in learning how to coach people. So um, yeah. yeah, just talk a bit about that. So FBM, I stumbled across it um, really just like I said in the beginning, right? Like you, you see these ads and you've seen all different types of people come across it. And I dropshipping was a hot topic in the pandemic, right? But it was Shopify dropshipping not to Amazon dropshipping. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I realized with Shopify is, damn, I got to build a website. I got to build a marketing funnel. I got to find a product. I got to code. I got to build out my widgets. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do all that. And more specifically, I got to spend money on ads, which I didn't have any money to spend money on ads. So I was thinking, okay, well, Shopify is one way. What's another website? And I typed in Amazon dropshipping and then I didn't even know there was FBM, but it was a form of FBM. You know, you look at the YouTube videos, it's yes. all private label. <laughs> yeah, this is private label. And, you know, that's a different world. That's a different thing. So I was like, okay, like I can't necessarily do that because I'm not that invested right now because I didn't see any sort of um, validation from that business. But I just kind of started as a regular dropshipper and, and kind of tested the waters from that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you okay. learned on YouTube? Yeah, so learning through YouTube. Um, okay. Really, I mean... YouTube is is great. It's a it's a good starting point, but at some point, you know, for me, what it comes with is a lot of experience. Right, you can only learn so much about selling on Amazon, but until you're within Seller Central, until you're searching on Amazon.ca, it's a different ball game. Right, until you're looking at the charts, you're analyzing the BSRs and so on. That's where majority of your learning comes from. Yeah, and you learn from it. doing yeah and trial and error. <laughs> Exactly. And, you know, product research is your income producing activity. Like this is how you make money. If you want to be able to generate income by do product research, find the stuff that people are looking to buy, and then you're going to be able to make money with this. So in terms of how much money I spent in coaching, um, so I've spent a little bit over $50,000 in coaching um, this year (laughs) alone. So I guess you can say we're about like at 70 grand in total over the past Uh. two years. but you know, that, that's the thing, right? Is some people might realize like, oh, wow, like that's a lot of money. At the same yeah. time, yes. But when you look at it in the grand scheme of things, um, the return on investment and the coaches that I invested into, um, it's been infinite, right? Yeah, you if you're able to learn a lot of skills from them, they right. know how to make money, so. It, these are coaches that do, you know, seven figures a month, right? With their coaching businesses. So yeah. you definitely learn a lot of information and, and really trying to be able to build out more value and provide people with transformation is the main focus. Your job as a coach is people come to you to make money. Well, at least as an Amazon dropshipping coach. So my job is to help people go from zero to hundred in the shortest period of time. Mm-hmm. So the pressure is on, but at the same time, like that pressure really allows me to ensure that people are going to be successful do you have any known coaches like who are your coaches um known coaches um some people might know him as richard Yu. um it's actually the first time i'm actually publicly announcing this so a little bit weird um but yeah richard you got some exclusive more specific yeah exclusive content here um (laughs) yeah richard yutzi is his name and um yeah, he's been able to be phenomenal for me. He he taught me everything. Okay, cool. And like, what are the main things you learn? Like you, when people hear like $70,000 spent in learning, like they think like, oh, well, so like, what are you learning? Are you getting that value? I suppose, yes, but like, what are you learning? 
So really what you're learning is you're learning the fundamentals of building out a coaching business. So there's a lot more that goes into it besides just coaching people, right? Because yeah. for a coaching business or a personal brand in general, you got to be able to get attention, right? You got to be able to get eyeballs onto your page. Now, how do you do this? Well, that stems from your traffic, right? And your traffic is going to be your main source of where you're going to be able to get more eyeballs. So IG, right? Content, being able to push out as much content as possible, but more specifically, how to write engaging content, how to write content that people are actually willing to read. And, you know, there's a lot of different other platforms out there, but one specific thing that they tell us about is unless you've mastered one platform, don't move on to another, right? So mm -hmm. don't go on to, you know, TikTok, don't go on to YouTube because what ends up happening is if you don't build out a proper system for one platform, then you're going to sacrifice the quality that's going to go into it, mm -hmm. right? So like, you know, for right now, the coaching program, like we're hiring a social media manager, right? So someone that's going to handle all the social media, handle all the content. So that way that's going to be fully automated. So then we can step into YouTube, maybe, or TikTok or different things yeah. like that, right? So, you know, there's a lot that goes into it from the traffic, from the content, from the transformation, and also in terms of really being able to make sure that you know how to create these videos, right? You know how to build out a membership portal. You know how to build out a website and different things like that. So I know it's very brief, but it's a whole entire bunch of information that's very hard to retain. Um, but putting it to work and putting it into implementation right away was one of the best things I was ever able to do. Yeah, so I just, would you I, say like the the success of your coaching business? I know it's it's you, but like, would you say a lot of that came from what you learned in the coaching program? Yeah, I would almost allocate like ninety five percent of it. Damn, that's uh, crazy. I would say, and yeah. it it has generated like a, um, I guess we can say like a five x um, return on the money yeah. that I spent on it. So it's been able to to prove that it, you know, if you want to learn something, if you want to be able to do something just learn from someone who's already been in that position, learn from someone who's already been there, who's doing it. Cause yeah. that way it's going to accelerate the amount of results that you get within a shorter period of time. Yeah. I just Googled Richard, you and I actually like, I've seen him before. Like, yeah, it's everyone, like everybody I've has, I think I've seen him before too. Like I yeah, recognize yeah. the name. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have but, a question. Know, oh, on. sorry. I was going to say like, um, do you know my flip for miles and like fields of profit? Yep. They're like FBA sellers. Like I often, or maybe not as much now, but I used to see them always saying like, oh, don't do drop shipping because da -da -da, your account's going to get shut down. I want to know what's your what's your um, response to that. <laughs> right. So good old, uh, <laughs> you know, there's a divide. There is a divide between FBA sellers and drop shippers because yeah. everybody okay. likes to position one way that's better over the other which is fair sure, that's yeah. fine um and that's a that's a reasonable argument right because drop shipping when you look at the broad scope of things everybody loves to say we're not going to mention any names but everybody loves to say that a drop shipping is against tos terms of services now if let's say for instance i want to be able to look a little bit deeper if you look a little bit deeper into the tos the tos states that you have to be the seller of record and you have to either provide the packaging in brand in unbranded packaging or your own. So what this means is this, those two things stem from my suppliers, right? And indicating I'm the seller of record and indicating that I have unbranded packaging. So my suppliers have to be able to support those, those two things. They have to abide by those two parts. 
So what we do here is we be, you know, in the program, a bulk majority of the learning is helping people understand what suppliers to use. So we give them a whole list of what we call dropship friendly suppliers, suppliers that are abiding by TOS. So then from that point forward, once they have these suppliers in place, it completely goes out of the window. You don't have to worry about the TOS, but a lot of people just look at the broad scope. They look at it from an outside of view. A lot of people of don't know. View. Yeah. A lot of and that's okay. Yeah, but yeah. you know, when, when people have significant followings and they state XYZ is not good for XYZ reasons, yeah. <laughs> it, you know, it, it grinds my gears because people haven't personally been through it. Right. So why are you going to talk shit about something you don't know anything about? <laughs> Tell them. Which is something that, you know, it, it happens with social media. So you just got to put it on the back. No, but everyone's saying the same. It's the same thing with private label. Like I follow some girls that do private label and they're always like, oh, like online overcharge isn't good. And I'm like, I thought we were friends, but it's just it's just that's what they're promoting, you know, so I get it. But um, I remember actually checking the rules of dropshipping and I read the same thing. Like it's allowed. It's just that you have to follow the rules of what's allowed, you know, Um. So basically what you do and what you advise your students to do is to find specific suppliers that will follow those rules, if I understood. Yeah, so they don't even have to find them. We give them to them because I don't want you to use something that's not, that doesn't abide by TOS. Did you ever have a a supplier that like didn't follow the right rule, like didn't follow the rules or are they generally good with So generally they'll they'll all abide by the rules, right? We we kind of run through a little bit of a processes in order to vet what supplier is good and Mm. what supplier is not good. And through that process, that's what allows us to be able to identify, okay, this supplier is dropship friendly or this supplier is not dropship friendly. And then more specifically, we dive a little bit deeper in the, the way in which that we source products from those suppliers. Okay. Right. Because sometimes certain products that I, you know, that I source won't necessarily be abiding by Amazon yeah. TOS. So I got to be very careful in terms of that. But yeah. have you had any of your students get their account like deactivated or anything like that? Or have you encountered that yourself? And if so, how did you fix it? Yeah. So in terms of deactivations, I remember the day I almost got deactivated like it was yesterday. Um, I was sitting in my girlfriend's living room and then I fell asleep. It was like 1 a.m. and I didn't confirm my shipments. So my my late shipment, my LSR, is account health metric that we need to look at, was like 14% and has to be below 4%. So I immediately started to freak out. I was like, yeah, I'm going to lose it all. This is it. This is the end. I'm going to move on to the next thing. (laughs) Right. And then, um, you know, I got the email from Amazon saying, hey, like your account is at risk of deactivation. Please submit a POA, a plan of action. And uh, I submitted everything accordingly. I was able to speak to account health specialist rep. And um, they essentially ran me through, okay, like this is what you have to include. This is what not to include. I, you know, made my case. And and thankfully enough, they were able to, to let me go. Uh, but I remember that like it was yesterday. And that's the reason why I talk about students, you know, they have to keep track of their account health. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't keep track of your account health, it's much like your own personal body. If you don't keep track of your body and keep it in check and feed it good nutrients, it's just going to go downhill. And have you have you dealt with someone who would actually cross the line and was suspended and then you had to get their account back? Or right. So I want to know, like, if, if your account gets suspended, how do you get it back? Because for me, like me too, I'm stressed. Like if ever my account mm-hmm. gets shut down. Did you ever have like that happen where it was fixable or was it not fixable? Yeah, so one of the things that people have to understand, whether you're doing FBA or FBM, suspensions are not forever. That's the most important part. People think that once you're deactivated, it's like, oh my God, it's the end of the world. It's not. Now, I've been personally trained by Amazon appeal lawyers. I don't know if you know who Ed Rosenberg is. Essentially, he's very well known in the Amazon space. 
And he's been, he's essentially an Amazon appeal lawyer. So what that means is he's specifically trained on how to write appeals as it pertains mm-hmm. to Amazon policies and deactivations. Right. So I was, had the opportunity to be able to learn from him and understand what goes into a POA. And if someone gets deactivated, what are the proper course of actions to take? Mm-hmm. Now, more specifically, if you do get deactivated, whatever the reason is, whether it's your account health metrics, whether it is, what's the reason that you could get deactivated for FBA? Oh, uh, one time I was selling, health, I guess. Yeah. I was selling products well. that had like vitamin C in there. Like you broke the rules because you're selling restricted products in Canada. Like several IP complaints and stuff right. shit like that. Yeah, okay, so yeah. So policy compliance, right? Policy but compliance. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Compliance, it was compliance. Right. So from that point, what you have to dive in, the second that you get deactivated, most likely Amazon will call you. Okay. Amazon, you have really? to answer that phone. You should be answering that phone because that's your opportunity to make your case to an Amazon seller support rep where they're actually going to be able to put internal notes into your file. Hmm. So they can understand your tone and saying like, look, this was a sincere mistake. And then that goes, you know, in your favor. But from that point, there's three parts to your appeal or to your plan of action, the root cause, what you did to fix it and what you're going to be doing in the future to ensure that it doesn't happen again. Now, What's extremely important is the first part, the root cause. So many people make this common mistake of, it's not my fault. It's an error. There's an error wrong with the system. I was flied for no good reason. You cannot do that. The reason why is because it's Amazon. They most likely did not make a mistake. Okay, They've got systems and and, processes in place to be able to establish what's a good seller and what's not. Mm. So that being said, what you have to dive deep into is the root cause, really going through the past 30 days of your sales, whether it was 14,000 sales or five orders, you got to be able to understand where did something go wrong for every single order and then identify specific orders that might have had a slip up. Maybe there was one item that a customer claimed it was not in its original packaging. Maybe a customer claimed it was inauthentic or it wasn't valid. And then from that point, it's something I have to include in my root cause and explain to Amazon and saying, look, I understand what happened. This is what happened. And this is what caused this to be able to violate this policy. And then you have to be able to be very extensive in regards to that, but also being very concise. So you got to use, you know, very particular wording, very particular. Yeah, you have to use their terminology. I had to do the same thing. And I, oh, I was, I wrote an essay. I felt like I was in high school writing an essay. Right. And that's like the biggest nightmare is having to write that whole entire thing. (laughs) And from that point, you know, in terms of what you're doing to prevent this, um, you know, or what you're doing to fix it, you simply explain to them in brief, but, you know, you've refunded the customers, you've implemented the proper systems, you've hired a team, you've included employee handbooks, and then yeah. what you're doing to prevent this in the future is kind of reiterating that middle part, but just expanding on it a little bit more. Far, far. Yeah, I just want to touch upon, because we talk about personal credit, but I want to touch upon business credit. Can you just talk about your process of, in two years, how you're able to establish business credit and how new entrepreneurs could go about the process of establishing business credits? Yeah, so that's that's a scary place for a lot of people. Like credit is something that a lot of people are not familiar with and they don't understand the difference between good debt and bad debt. And um, first things first, everyone has to understand that, you know, debt exists, but there's a difference between the good debt and the bad debt, right? You buying a car necessarily is not good debt, right? You buying, let's say, or putting income, your money towards products that can produce a return on investment good debt. Mm. 
So when it came to it, I didn't have any business credit in the beginning. Like for the first eight months, I didn't have anything. So I was really running through everything in my personal credit. So thankfully, I was knowledgeable enough in regards to following the right types of people and being able to understand, okay, I can apply for different credit cards um, despite my you know, 5,000 credit limit student card. And um, I was running everything personally, but then once you tap into like the business aspect, um, it, it's a different ballgame, right? Like your personal credit score and your business credit score are two different things. And as a new online business, Sometimes there'll be some skepticism from the banks, right? Banks are not going to be willing to, you know, what, what's an e-commerce business? What do you mean you're buying products online? I remember I went to TD <laughs> and TD ran me through a whole interview in regards to the nature of the business model and they, they didn't understand it. <laughs> yeah, they, they think you're doing a scam. So you're buying products from China and all this. They didn't understand it. And when they don't understand it, they can't fund it. So they're more used to the traditional ways of it could be real estate let's say for instance, or it could, could just be for employees and stuff like that. So one of the first cars that I got um, was a Amex Aeroplan um, kind of reserve card. Right? So that gave me um, 20, no, it gave me 13 in the beginning. And then like three months after I've got it to like 20K. And then now we're at like 40, $44,000 in available credit to work with. And then um, now fast forward, we have like six different credit cards. Right? So really being able to utilize um, credit to your advantage. But business credit is something that I feel like a lot of people need to learn a little bit more about before they step into. It's something that I'm still trying to do. I'm still trying to understand the ropes of it and how to maximize it to the best of my ability. Yeah, perfect. So can you walk to me how you got that that platinum, that Amex platinum, the infinite? Because <laughs> right. for me, I feel like that is the holy grail of business credit. I feel like that opens up a lot of doors, especially for you to be able to use it for personal reasons, et cetera. So can you talk about the process of achieving that card and how can you recommend somebody go through that process as well? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the Amex Platinum card is, like you said, very perfectly, it's the holy grail. If there's one credit card that you want to own, it is that credit card. Um, not only in terms of you know the, the perks it, it gets in terms of the credit, but your, your travel rewards that you're able to get from an Amex Platinum card, you can be able to book a first-class trip from here to Qatar solely on Amex rewards points, right? And that is doable. But the thing is, is that there's a few catches here, right? So you do have to pay $599 a year to be able to utilize that card, mm -hmm. right? So some people are not willing to do it. And right now I pay like, I think I pay like over $2,000 for credit cards on an annual basis. Right? But that's because they, they maximize travel rewards for me. Um, but with that being said, applying for an Amex Platinum really in full honesty was not that hard for me. Um, it, it wasn't necessarily a, a big process. It did take some time. It did take some submissions of certain documentation in terms of business registration, you know, especially here in Quebec. So really trying to be able to ensure that you're going about it at the right time as well, right? Like you have to have some sort of, proof that you have a business you have to show them that this is what i'm utilizing this card for because if you don't likelihood of you being accepted not likely but even if they do the amount of um, uh, credit that they're going to accept you for basically minimal right it's not going to be anything so significant so that's why applying for an amex platinum card you got to, you know it's not it's not your beginner card. It's not the first card that someone should apply for. But when you're later on, when you understand the credit game and how to utilize different things, 
Um, it, it's definitely something down the line, maybe a year after people start to dabble with credit cards, everybody should have, right? It, it's the staple, especially in terms of travel rewards, right? Like it gets you access to priority pass, which gives you access to like over 13,000 lounges across the globe, right? That alone pays for the fee in itself. How many lounges does it come with? Because mine has six, which is not enough. So I, I'm not sure what credit card you have. It's the CIBC I venture privilege because no, I have... Oh, I need to not expose myself right now, actually. But I, anyways, I, yeah. So I have, it, but it's not worth it. Like this card is not worth it because it's like it's, 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 five, it's a yeah, five hundred dollar credit card. I'm gonna cut okay, that. Just stop. No, it's okay. I'm canceling. I'm canceling the credit card after we use the passes. You're gonna anyway. go to jail. Anyways, <laughs> anyways, my point is, it only comes with six priority passes, but I find that's quite low for a five hundred dollar card. Don't yeah, you? Yeah, no, that, that's bullshit. Um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> not all credit card issuers are, are are the same, and the reason why is Amex. You think of it as the higher status, right? Like you do have Amex Platinum cards, which are the the best card available to the public, but then you also got Amex Black cards, and oh, that's yeah, like invitation only. That's like different level type entrepreneurship. Okay. Um, but at the same time, when it comes to getting access to priority um, passes or even lounges when you are traveling, I would recommend two different things. So you have priority pass, right? So priority pass is essentially allowing you to have access to a network of lounges across the globe. Now, it depends what credit card you have. With the Amex Platinum, you have worldwide priority pass included. Okay, so I can be anywhere in the world as long as there's a priority pass at that airport i'll be able to access it then in terms of people in canada one really easy card that you can be able to apply for is an amex aeroplan card right so it could be the reserve card or it could be just the basic one the amex reserve is the one that i have if you pay like 499 dollars a year that gets you access to all maple leaf lounges right so all lounges by air canada wherever you're traveling within north america also gets you free checked bags it also gets you you know, um, let's say 25% off seat selection gets you access to also upgrades to first class, which is a very big perk. So, you know, there's, there's a big, uh, there's a whole entire space out there in terms of the credit game and how to maximize the travel awards. Okay, wait, but how, how many priority passes do you have per year? Because she said six for hers. Do you know how many it is for that? Because I'm also considering getting that Amex, the platinum card. Unlimited. And I'm canceling my card. because Oh, it's unlimited. Okay. Yeah, yeah don't that's the whole point. That the card is worldwide. It's a worldwide card, and that's mine's worldwide too. But it's only no, six that's, times that's a year. A, like Sheen said, that's a Canadian issued card. When you deal with mm. Amex, it's really oh, world okay. renowned. That's why yeah, yeah, yeah. you're getting to pay seven hundred dollars per per year for the card. You know, I'm canceling so, my yeah. card. That's no, why getting that card is like you you made it. I want people to know too, like the 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 fee. If you're running a business, is tax. It's a tax write-off, so you can deduct it. So 50%. not don't, yeah, don't let that be the the reason why you don't get a credit card that can be beneficial yeah, to you. Yeah, because it's so worth it regardless. Um, but in terms of the points, like how much money do you have to? Because me, I'm at a point where I'm spending a lot of money on my credit card to buy inventory. I'm looking to get that card it doesn't matter for the fee but i just want to know if it's actually going to be beneficial for me because right now i'm with amex i have the simply preferred cash back and i'm getting two percent on all my purchases and that like 
no that's really quite good quickly. out yeah, of it's... all credit cards in canada that that's one of the only in terms of cash back it's like 2%. the best yeah exactly, exactly it's the best one in canada yeah uh, so like especially when you run this type of business right two percent cash back that's two percent on your margins that's what right? i'm saying yeah. so yeah. you're like oh damn like i can actually be able to utilize that yeah um, so in terms of like that card the platinum card how much better is it compared to that in terms of the reward points like mm-hmm. let's say a flight to qatar because we we are going to qatar funnily enough and uh, how much would that like how much would you have to spend to get that that flight yeah so the sign up bonus for amex currently um they did run a promotion i believe it's about 120,000 membership awards points um if you do hit the sign up bonus the sign up bonus when i used it it was, um, I believe it was either $10,000 or $15,000 in spend on that card within the first three months of using it. Okay. So um, what ended up happening for me is obviously if you have an Amazon business, it's a, no, it's a no-brainer at that yeah. point. Like, you know, yeah. you're spending money on inventory anyways. So why not be rewarded for the money that you're spending on your inventory to be able to travel for free? Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to how much is it in terms of being able to, you know, um, redeem your travel rewards points for, uh, you know, let's say a first class flight to Qatar. It, it, it's very layered. So, you know, you got different airplanes, you've got different airlines. But one key thing for a lot of Canadians out there is Amex is, is primarily a, a US issuer. So, Amex membership rewards points can be converted into aeroplane points at a one to one ratio. And so that means if I have $120,000, 120,000 uh, membership rewards points from Amex, I can convert that into 120,000 airplane points. And that can allow me to be able to book a first-class flight, let's say from here. I'm not sure if there's any direct flights from Yule to, to Qatar, yeah. um, but let's say, for instance, from here to, to London, let's say, for instance, or something like that, right? Okay. So in, in terms of, are you going to be able to find a flight? Most probably not, right? Because award availability ever since the pandemic ended, everything's been booked up. People are booking trips two mm-hmm. years out in advance just to be able to have access to, you know, something like Q-suites. Yeah. You know, so, so those different types of scenarios are, are very tricky. Um, and that's why you got to follow like the right types of people and have the right type of guidance when it comes to, you know, redeeming rewards points and travel awards. Yeah. So I don't know well, like what no. to do now because 2% is fire, but also like, am I missing out on something that could give me like you are flights basically? Yeah, well, yeah. you think you think about your two percent, right? Your two percent might get you X amount of dollars back in um, cash back on a monthly yeah. basis. Yeah. I'm not sure how much that is, but when you think about it and you classify in terms of a first class flight, first class flights can cost you twelve thousand yeah, dollars for true. one way, true. right? So in that in itself, yes, you are missing out, but there's no reason, in all honesty, why you can't have both. Correct mm, yeah. me if I'm wrong, but. It, I think the platinum card helps you also if you have a spouse or a partner or somebody else traveling with you. Is that correct? Yeah. So even with with priority, yeah. So even with you know priority passes, it's you and a guest, obviously, of course. And then in terms of the other Amex cards, so the Amex Aeroplan Reserve card, it's me and my girlfriend, right? So she saves on everything I save, so she gets twenty five percent off. She gets a free check bag for the amount of shit that she has. It's key. I don't want to pay $70 for a bag. So from that point, you know, if you're a traveling couple, right, it might just be needed for one person to get that card, right? Mm-hmm. Or if you want to be able to maximize things to the fullest, you apply for one card at one moment, get the sign-up bonus. Then in the next three months thereafter, let's say Sasha can be able to apply for that card, hit the mm-hmm. sign-up bonus, boom, $240,000 
240,000 points in membership um, kind of points for Amex, you can go to the Maldives if you really um, want to. On a first class flight? Yep. Is it there and back? Um, that will probably be one way. In one way, okay. I'm just wondering. Like, I just want to understand what it converts to in real life. Yeah, well, now we're starting the travel hacking segment. <laughs> yeah, we've been on the travel hacking. <laughs> we've been, like, we've been on that. Like, <laughs> okay so what are some travel hacking tips because i know that you always like talk about this and like i know this is like it was mainly an amazon episode but we wanted to talk to you about this too what are some like travel hacking tips that you can give for like beginners or the first thing that the first thing you can um recommend right so um are we are we speaking to people in canada like what's your demographic here mostly for, for us for us yeah, yeah. mostly for, me. <laughs> for us okay i'm joking so i'm joking for everyone but mainly for us <laughs> right so if you want to clean 10,000 um aeroplan points apply for the cibc aeroplan card um it's a visa card zero annual fee free 10,000 aeroplan points once you buy a pack of gum okay so that's the first step every person should take and then in terms of um really any sort of hacking tips just make sure that when you know you have a big expense coming up, so whether it's you know, putting a down payment on a house, whether it's applying or paying for a mentorship, whether it's buying a car, whether it's any sort of other thing that will be of, let's say, great significance, $3,000 or more, apply for the credit card beforehand because you know you're going to be spending the money anyways. So why not utilize the big amount of money that you're going to be spending at one time to hit the sign-up bonuses? Because the way that you're going to be able to travel for free is sign up bonuses, right? That's really where you're going to be able to accumulate a lot of your points mm -hmm. is by hitting these cards that have minimal sign up bonuses, but have hefty points in return. Mm -hmm. right? and, and that will come from, you know, Visa and MasterCard, they slack 100%. I believe that they slack hard when it comes to travel rewards. Amex will be your go-to. Amex will be definitely yeah. something that you want to be able to look at. So Right. So if people don't want to be able to apply for, you know, an Amex Platinum um, right away, there's different cars out there. Right. And what's extremely important is if you're Canadian, you know that you predominantly fly with Air Canada, apply for a co-branded credit card because a co-branded credit card will give you different perks when it comes to that specific airline. Right. Even, you know, my girlfriend has a, a TD Visa Aeroplan card or preferred card cost her like 129 a year and it still gives her preferred seat selection right a free checked bags and mm -hmm. different percentages off of flights so when it comes to that specific scenario where she's traveling on her own it helps her out right so just making sure that you're really ensuring that when you do have an expense apply for the right credit card and if you're not willing to pay for a hefty fee just make sure you have something that's co-branded with the main airline that you fly with uh, just before, like, I wanted to, to ask, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but like, let's say you have a current Amex card and you apply for another one. Do they give you that same limit that you have on the other one? Or how does it start? Do you have to start over? Do you know? I, I don't believe that will be the case. They're not going to be the same exact one, considering that you have previous history with them. Um, yeah. Of course, positive history. I would assume that yeah. they would be willing to give you a little bit extra more, but it also depends on the card as well, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, cool. Yeah, Shink, you talk about putting your personal guarantee um, potential on a couple of business cards once selling out, because I think that scares a lot of people to have to put their personal credit on business, especially afterwards, if you don't know to remove it afterwards or graduate to a point where you don't have to do that. Can you talk about that process and how that, how that works for different companies? Yeah, so, you know, it's... 
it's very pressured, I guess you could say. Um, it, it's a lot of um, pressure for a lot of people and they're like, okay, personal guarantee, oh my God, right? But the, the way, like very briefly, it, it's a little bit in depth, but the way that you have to view it is you can't give yourself any other option, right? Like you put your personal guarantee, not a problem, but you got to make sure that it's do or die at that point, right? You got to make sure that you're going to do whatever it takes to be able to hit whatever requirements that they're um, asking for. Right. So even if you don't have specific things, um, let's say, for instance, that you might think of, you can simply try to be able to work up different things that you can put in that guarantee that can amount to whatever it is that they're asking for. And so every single person is going to be different. And it's a little bit of a layered question, just in the fact that, you know, for me, it wasn't necessarily so much because I did have my business. But some people don't have their businesses yet, or they don't have it to a significant point in time where they can be able to include in that guarantee. Right? So it's just willing to be able to ensure that when you're going down that route, just have the frame of mind, like it's this or it's nothing really. And I know the doors that this can open for me. So I'm going to put that as my sole priority. There's no, okay, well, I'm going to fail at this. I'm not going to be able to do X, Y, Z. I think um, a lot of people just... When you hear personal guarantee, I think it's sort of like a mental block, especially like for me, I'm at a point where the more you're trying to scale, the higher the, the risk is going to be. So you basically have to put your, your name on the dotted line. So I think that's a, a scary point. Yeah. But I think it's a point of resistance for a lot of people to break through. Yeah. And, you know, one of the big things that many people don't actually think about, you can also look for private funding, right? There are VCs out there. There are angel investors that can be willing to be able to invest in you, right? You just gotta be able to present them with specific opportunities. Like I was approached by a VC. I, he wanted me to build him out a massive worldwide Amazon business. And this is someone that was very well off. He owned one of the fewest cars in Canada, um, one of the most rarest cars, he didn't tell me which one it is. But I realized like, okay, I'm like, how much money do we have for inventory on a monthly basis? Unlimited. What does that even mean? Right. Coming from the point of working with, you know, 20,000 at that point per month in credit, when you're like, okay, I have unlimited amount of money for inventory. Okay. Well, this seems rather interesting. And you can see how far you take that. And generally speaking, the way that private funding goes is, you know, they'll just take a profit share because they're not doing anything. These are most likely retired people that, you know, had multiple eight figure exits for their businesses. So they just want to sit on their, their asses and produce passive income. So it'd be worth it for you in the end. Unfortunately, that deal didn't end up going through with me, but nonetheless, it was a good learning experience in regards to, oh, wow, like that's actually out there. Like these types of things do happen. So try to be able to, you know, expand your, your horizons, I guess you can say a little bit. If you, if you know that you believe in the business that you have, uh, someone else can benefit from it. You just need access to a little bit more capital in order to be able to get to that next level. There's no reason why you can't reach out to, you know, either some sort of angel investor or VCs. Yeah. So, so um, what's, what's next for you? Like in terms of the coaching business, the Amazon business, what are you focusing on right now? So really coaching in a hundred percent honesty, um, building out leading digital e-com as a brand and, and really making a mark in, in terms of the coaching space when it comes to e-commerce coaches. Um, like I said, right. We, we have a significant success rate. We have a hundred percent success rate simply because the people that we let in, we, we interview them, right? We make sure that these are people that are hungry, people that want results, people that are coachable, that will listen. So really trying to be able to get to that point of, you know, 
you look at other people like Bashar, for instance, right? I'm not sure if anybody knows of Bashar here, but Bashar does two to $3 million a month okay, with his coaching program. Right? And the reason why I know that is because we have the same coaches. So what ends up happening is you got to think a lot bigger, right? Two to $3 million a month. That's a lot of people that are being able to change their lives. Yeah. So, you know, he built out his university, his name out there. And so many people just know it off the top of their head. Well, that's what we try to get to, you know, with us and in leading digital e-com is reinventing the way in which people perceive e-commerce right? and more specifically dropshipping because people look at e-com and they're like scam yeah, immediately. Yeah. yeah. Right. And especially a lot of people from, you know, that are a little bit of older age that they don't understand it. So if they don't understand something, they'll immediately resort to scams. So just really being able to provide people with real coaching, personalized coaching, and, you know, hiring more employees for the coaching program to be able to make sure that we can not sacrifice the quality of coaching that's coming into this business as more people join it. How, how many employees are you at right now? Currently we're at two employees. Um, oh, so okay. nice. we've got, um, and they're actually both from my, my program. So these are the two people that I've actually previously coached and now they're working for me. Mm. Um, that's so cute that they're like, they're people that you, that you taught how to do it. Right. And that's something that we learn in, you know, business coaching is if you want to be able to, you know, have someone understand what you're selling, go to the people that have been through your program. Because mm. those are the people that understand that have been through on a first-hand basis. And you've already taught them how to do what you're doing. <laughs> right. So it's a really, it's kind of like second nature for them to be able to, um, I guess you can say, explain the value that's included yeah. in the pro coaching program yeah. to other people. And you're also providing them with potential opportunities too, which is cool. Yeah. Like, you know, like uh, one of the employees that I work with, he, he's 19 years old. He just wow. made like six grand last month. Oh my like, God. At 19. By, that's crazy. By just simply doing appointment setting. And it's that simple, right? but it just goes to show like, you know, people out there, you, if you give them opportunities, they're going to be able to actually give back to you. And you never know where things might actually lead you. Yeah, for sure. And have you ever worked with VAs? uh well yeah my whole entire amazon store is run by va so uh, we have a considerable we have a good team um you know i i've been lucky with my vas or my first va he's my um he's my manager i guess you can say and i've been with him since the get-go he's been able to manage everything for me been able to take care of everything he's been able to train the other vas that we have on board um and vas are, are just a phenomenal way for you to, yeah. to scale any type of business and how many do you have right now? Currently three. Wow. Okay. I, I, I'm on one still. I'm looking to hire a second one, but like, I don't know. I don't like managing people that much. <laughs> you know, if you know, you utilize things like Trello, um, again, systems, right? Every single business has to have systems yeah. in place and, yeah. and running people through like a Trello board and developing like an SOP just to make their job a lot easier. And then you record like a 20 minute loom video in regards to what they need to do on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty simple right and, and if you're an effective coach if you know what you're talking about you're going to be able to communicate it to other people yeah and finally before we end i wanted to talk about like one last thing which is basically your your fitness your health i know you go to the gym pretty much every day so how has that helped you in your business like just talk a bit about living a healthy lifestyle and going to the gym and how that helps you all right um yeah well firstly obviously having a girlfriend that's in the fitness space obviously influences me 
significantly to get up off my ass because you know e-commerce sellers were on our laptops right so sometimes it might be hard to really get up and stop sourcing products so really I I had to reframe my thinking when it came to the gym Um, I was previously very much into fitness you know into bodybuilding and then I worked my way out of it um, as I got into e-commerce but I used it more so as a place that allowed me to be able to disconnect from everything. Like on my phones, I do not disturb. Nobody talks to me. I don't even want to talk to people at the gym um, simply because it's, it's my time. It's the one hour that I can allow myself to not work. Yeah. And that allows me to take a break, to reset, to, you know, whatever, work out my demons, as some people say. But it allows me to come back with a clear head after that and be a little bit more productive. Right. In terms of, you know, food, I mean, I, I order meal prep basically yeah. for every single day. So mm-hmm. that's a time saver for every single entrepreneur, which I believe that they should all utilize. Um, and it just saves you time. Right. And, yeah. you know, in terms of the food that you eat, like if you have, if ever somebody has gone to breakfast and you feel very heavy after that and you want to take a nap after breakfast, it's because you feel lethargic. Right? And that mm-hmm. comes with foods that are not necessarily the best for you. Yeah. So really avoiding heavy meals throughout the day, right? Really avoiding things that are highly processed throughout the whole entire day, just to make sure that I'm able to maintain the highest level of productivity and to ensure that I don't feel like taking a nap at 2 p.m. And do you have any tips to give people that want to stay consistent at the gym? Um, build out a build out a schedule in regards to what you want to do, right? So one of the best things. Well, honestly, I speak, it's a little bit biased for me because I have my girlfriend, but, you know, having someone to show you what to do, I guess you can say, or tell you do this, this for this amount of sets and these amount of reps helps because it alleviates some of the pressure when people step into the gym, they're like, I don't know what to do. So that's one thing that also helps, but really just making sure that you're time blocking a specific time throughout each and every single day to put towards the gym, right? Saying from 11 to 1030 or 11 to 1230, sorry you're going to be working on, it's going to be an upper day, let's say, or it's going to be a lower day, whatever it really might be. And, you know, for a lot of people, they overthink fitness, just go to the gym and just try to be able to move your body right now. Every single rep counts. You don't just go to the gym just to say that you've gone to the gym, go to the gym, get a good workout in, make sure you know what you're doing. And then you look at the, you know, after a little bit of working out for three months in a row, you'll see some progress. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's three months for sure. Like people quit way before three months, but like you have to give mm-hmm. yourself at least three months with anything before you quit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go try. Yeah. I just had a quick question. Uh, would you consider yourself a frugal person? Cause I can only imagine making a substantial amount of money and not be able to spend it. So can you talk about how you got discipline in your finances at such a young age? Yeah. Um, that stems from my parents. Um, more specifically, my dad. Um, my dad was someone where we always brought lunches to school. You never stepped into the cafeteria. Um, you really made sure that you're not buying shit that you don't need. And one of the biggest things I start to realize, like when you start to make more money and a considerable amount of money, you're like, oh, what do I do with all this? And that question, your mind goes two ways. Let me buy a Lamborghini. Or let me do something productive with it and put it into something that can actually be put to good use. Yeah. And, you know, I, I speak with my girlfriend a lot about this is, you know, what do we do? Like, what are we going to do with all this? And one of the things we need to realize is, do I need it right now? 
right? Do I need the money right now? And so many people get so fixated on a specific number in their bank account, right? Oh, I've got to have this number in my bank account and then I'll be secure, right? I've, I've once was one in that position where I want to have, you know, six figures in my bank account. I'm at that moment. Now I want to be able to get rid of it because I know that it can be put to better uses. So it's really ensuring that I'm not falling into the trap of, you know, inflation lifestyle. Right? Not saying that, well, as more money, I'm, I'm buying more and more shit. I literally wear the same sweater every single day. Like I, people probably notice that on my stories. I wear the same exact <laughs> sweater every day. But it just goes to show that the this seventy dollars, and I didn't even spend my money on this. My girlfriend actually bought me this. But it just goes to show that I don't got Gucci in my you know my closet. It's just a ton of black shirts. That's basically all it is. But for a lot of people, they look at you know social media. They'll see you know the Abu Dhabi lifestyles. They'll see different things in terms of you know buying Louis V bags and Gucci bags and shoes and all these different types of stuff. But I'm able to understand that how powerful money really is. And if mm -hmm. you put your money to the proper places, it can be able to grow substantially for you. Right? And, and you know, Charlie, I know when you mentioned to me, like I actually joined into, you know, your investing club there, it was like, I don't know, $6. And you said $6 to change your life or you go ahead and spend your money at Starbucks. Like, <laughs> little things like that, Every guy little, said that. <laughs> right. That's such a troll thing to say. <laughs> little things like that are what people need to implement. They need to think about is like, look, these are things that can help you produce significant amount of income over a short-term gratification. And so many people are in it for short-term, right? I want this now. But if you can sacrifice the short-term, you think about it in the long-term, what you've been realizing is the little increments of short-term sacrifice that you made will have significant long-term impacts. Yeah. Class. Class. That's a bar. Did you guys have any other questions for Shane? No. Let's get let's hit the Jay Z. Jay Z oh, yeah. Jay Z or five hundred K. Um Jay Z or five hundred K. Five hundred K. No, and just why? no I, I would actually go with Jay Z because you look at everything that Jay Z has. Damn, the last three people. The last three oh, people. I'm that's it. That's the last time I asked this question. Well, <laughs> here's the thing, right? Is when and everybody has their own reasons but you look at everything that jay-z has built um that takes a special type of individual right like that's something else regardless of the <laughs> fact of if he was producing hip-hop or not before then um the dude is a serial entrepreneur whether you like to hear it or not same thing with 50 right 50 cent is it's the same exact thing so you began to realize like you know you might look at these people as you know your favorite people who have song your, your favorite songs but at the same time like they've been able to build something for themselves and mm -hmm. a lot bigger than just, you know, whatever it, it may be. Exactly. Yeah. A lot bigger than 500 K. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Shout out Shane, man. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, well, thank I've been wanting to talk to you for a while and uh, it's good to finally speak to an FBM seller for once. Yeah, guys, it's my pleasure. And I appreciate you having me on and giving me the opportunity to, to speak to, to your audience. Yeah, it was for a really sure. nice episode. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, well, thank you guys for watching the Untold Gems podcast. Go follow Shane. What's your oh, IG? Yeah. Where can they find you? Where can they oh, find you? Um, uh, Shane.ecom. S-H-A-Y-N-E dot ecom. E-C-O-M. On Instagram. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you for watching and subscribing. Leave your thoughts in the comments down below, and we will see you all next week. Bye, guys.